want to thank for the opportunity to be with you this morning, and I appreciate you young people coming out to study with us. I know a Saturday can be tough to get up and get going, and some of you have come from a ways, and I have a special place in my heart for young people, and I appreciate your faith and your dedication to be here this morning and be willing to study. I appreciate Brother Paul inviting me, and the topic he gave me is one I didn't I hadn't studied in quite some time and had to look up some of the words he gave me. So we're going to go through this study together on the existence of God and look at the cause and effect. If you will, turn with me to the Roman letter and the first chapter, and we'll begin reading at verse 18. Romans chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse." When the Apostle Paul penned this letter to the church at Rome, take note that he is warning them against those who suppress the truth. And then when you drop down to verse 19, notice the statement that God is manifest or God is shown. And notice he is shown in them for God has shown it to them. Then in verse 20, he says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. He is saying that even the Gentiles, who under the old law did not know God as the uh, Jews did, they understood there was a creator and that by his uh, uh, creation, that by what he has made, they could see his eternal power. And they could see his invisible attributes. God has made known, and the answer is given in verse 20, by His creation, He has shown His power. One of the most basic issues that man considers is the question, does God exist? That's a basic question. You start that as a young child, does God exist? And you're going to go off to college, and the question will be raised, how did the world come into existence? And there will be the question, is there a higher power? And you know, my friend, you either are going to hold to one of two views. Either you're going to hold to the view that God does exist, and I believe everyone here holds that view, or you're going to hold to the view that God does not exist. But there is no middle ground. And so you have what is the atheist who will proclaim with great boldness and arrogance that there is no God, that God does not exist. You have the theist who states with great boldness and confidence that God does exist. You have the agnostic who says there's not enough evidence to make a decision on the matter. And then you have the skeptics that doubt the existence of God can be proven. And then you have what I call the majority of the people in the world. They just don't want to think about it. The majority of the people today don't want to think about where they came from or where they're headed. And they're practicing atheists. They may never deny there is a God, but the way they live would show that they deny His power, His holiness, and His Word. And so when I look at the statement, it takes faith to believe that God created the world. We also need to understand it would take a form of faith to believe that the world came from nothing. 
And so our question this morning is, is there adequate evidence to prove conclusively that God exists? Now, we can't deny the universe exists, because if that were true, we wouldn't be here to discuss the issue. So any rational person is going to admit we exist. But then the question is, how did we get here? How did the universe get here? And we want to examine, did it create itself? Or did it have a cause? And so the topic assigned me today is to look at the cause and effect of creation. Do you know that one out of five Americans are either an atheist, agnostic, or skeptical? And that's a percentage that keeps growing. There are fewer and fewer believers, fewer and fewer people that trust and believe that there is a higher power, and more skeptical people today than ever before. And there are people today that begin to laugh and mock at people who believe in a higher power. It's become the norm to mock those that believe in God, and the unbeliever is considered an intellectual giant. So what we want to look at is, has their evidence grown? And it hasn't, even though their numbers have grown. So let's first look at, if you will, the 19th Psalm. Look, if you will, in Psalm 19, and I'm sure that Brother Smith, uh, Smithson covered some of this last night. But look in Psalm 19, verses 1 and 2. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. The line has gone out throughout all the earth, and the words to the end of the world. Now look at what he says in verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. Now, the psalmist said there is a God. Now, look in Psalm 14. In Psalm 14, in verse 1, he said, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Now, a fool is someone who's morally corrupt and is not being intellectually honest. It's somebody that is being deceived. And he says they are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none who does good. Well, why would they do good if they don't believe in God? If there is no God, there will be no judgment. If there is no God, there's no morality. If there is no God, there's no standard. And so in the individual who says there is no God, he might as well live any way he wants to live. He doesn't fear any higher power. And so the question of, is there a creator? We need to go back and look at what the Bible says. Creation or did the earth come here by a big bang? Now, atheists differ on their claims of how the universe exists. They don't all agree. But some, and time won't permit us to examine each, but some claim the universe is here due to being created out of nothing. That matter was condensed into a really dense speck that exploded, creating the universe. That there is really no design, but each planet is the after effect of this big bang explosion. However, they're faced with a great problem. If you ask them, where did that matter come from? They can't answer it. The claim that the universe evolved from nothing is extraordinary, and that would take great faith to believe. That we are here walking upright, we're able to communicate, we have bodies that work the way they work, and that just came from an accident. That that just came from nothing. That there was no design. That there was no purpose. 
And so the claim that the universe evolved from nothing is an extraordinary claim because nothing can create nothing. Out of nothing comes nothing. We could take a one-pound rock and perform a million different experiments on it, and we will never be able to produce more than a one-pound rock. Material effects without adequate causes do not exist. And that's just a complicated way of saying something more powerful than the created thing must exist. Uh, let's look at example. You go out to the river. The river doesn't turn muddy because a frog jumped into it. Why? The river's more powerful than the frog. Now, the frog might be changed by the river, but the frog doesn't change the river. Or a, a book doesn't fall off the table because a fly lands on it. Why? Because a fly doesn't have the power to knock a book off. The cause has to be stronger than the effect. So when I look at the cause, I have to understand that God, or something more powerful, had to create the world or the universe. Why would I have to take that view? Because nothing can produce nothing. And so when I think about the fact that it comes to argue about the cause and effect of this universe, I think that the Bible gives us a great insight. Look in Genesis chapter 1. And when you come to Genesis chapter 1, look at what is said in verse 1. And we've read this so many times, and we've studied this, and we've memorized it. But look at what he says. In the beginning... Now, underscore beginning. The beginning of what? Time. Before creation, have you ever thought there was no time? God doesn't dwell in time. God dwells in eternity. Time was made for man. God doesn't dwell in time. In, for, in 2 Peter chapter 3, in about verse 8, it says, As a day is to a thousand years, or a thousand years is a day to God. God doesn't dwell in time. You and I do. We are constrained by time. And so in Genesis 1, when God began the universe, it said God created the heavens and the earth. Now, when did God do it? When time began. When did that happen? When God created. When God, out of His power, designed and decided to create this world. Now, that brings up something. Look in the book of Exodus in the 20th chapter. And when you come to Exodus chapter 20, look at what he says in verse 11. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. Now, Moses didn't have a problem saying that. Look in Acts chapter 17. Now, this is the one I really want us to focus on. Notice when Paul was with the Athenian philosophers, the intellectual giants of that day, he doesn't spend a lot of time trying to prove there is a God. He looked around at him and he just said, I want to tell you about something. And look at what he says in Acts 17. And notice as he is looking at them in verse 40, 24. God who made the world and everything in it. That's all he says. He said, I want to tell you about this God. You all are worshiping unknown beings. You're worshiping. I even saw an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. He said, let me tell you about this one. I want you to understand who God really is. He's not some deity that you've imagined. He's not some divine being that you've created. 
But he is the one who's created you, and he's created all things. And look, look at what he says again in verse 24. He is Lord of heaven and earth. That means he's over heaven and earth. And not only is he Lord over heaven and earth, he does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. You know what Paul made the argument with the people that day? Paul said, God created the earth, God sustains the earth. Sometimes what happens when an individual gets into an argument, we go into great explanation on why there is a God. And I'll tell you when it comes down to it, some people just aren't going to believe because they don't want to have faith and they don't want to change. But all the proof is against them. Go back, if you will, to the book of Genesis and the 17th chapter. And remember that God is all-powerful. In Genesis 17, 1, he calls himself the Almighty God. God has always existed and always will exist. That's what is said in the 90th Psalm in verse 2. And we need to recall that God is a spirit, John 4, 24. You know, science is far from learning everything about the material world, and it's even further from understanding the spiritual, eternal nature of God. But if we understand that God, who is a spirit created the physical universe, then we will start to see he also has a spiritual kingdom as well. Once I get past the fact there is a God, I'm going to want to know more about this God who made me, this God who fashioned me. I'm sure that Brother Smithson brought this out last night, but you think about God who designed the earth, which is adequate to sustain life. And just look at the human body, how we're able to, do every, every, able to do everything it does without a designer or creator. Think about it. You have a skeletal system, a nervous system. You have a digestive system. You think about all that God has made. You have a respiratory system, a reproductive system. All these systems work together within you. We're breathing right now without even thinking about it. Now, how many of you over the last five minutes said, I need to take a breath. Like, I need to take a breath. I need to take a breath. I doubt any of you have said that. Wouldn't that be terrible to have to go through the day thinking, I need to breathe, I need to breathe, I need to breathe, I need to breathe? But God didn't make us that way. Now, if we didn't have a designer, have you ever thought about how the body might look? I want you to think, to say that a unisex cell divided and reproduced itself into a fish that crawled out of the sea, and then it started swinging into the trees, and it came down, and here we are today, that's as insulting to the creation as it is the Creator. I remember one fellow came and preached one time, and I'll never forget what he said. He said, this man believed in evolution. And he looked at him and he said, is your grandma a monkey? The man got mad. He said, no, my grandma's not a monkey. He said, is your great-grandma a monkey? And he said, no. And he started to get mad, and he said, wait a minute. He said, somewhere... Someone's got to be a monkey if you believe in evolution. And I just want to know how far back it goes. Most of us get mad. Someone called your mama a monkey or or your grandma a monkey. But we'd say, oh, no. But someone has to be if you believe in evolution. And so I take that we don't believe that our great-grandparents were monkeys. We believe that we are designed. So that brings up something else. Look in Job 38. The Bible reveals how great this creator is. 
In Job 38 to 42, God asked Job some 65 questions that he couldn't answer. And a lot of them today we still can't answer. I mean, you think about the questions that God asked at that time. Job had no idea. Today, with all of our technology, we still can't answer many of them. Some of them we have more insight into because we're able to see the cosmos. But in Job 38, he asked him all these questions. And we're just going to look at a few. Look at Job 38, verse 2. In Job 38, verse 2, God asked Job this question. Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now, I'll tell you what I firmly believe. We should not come before God talking about things we know nothing about. That's what God's telling Job. God shows us the weakness of man compared to the power of God. He shows his power as the creator. So he says, Job, let me ask you these questions. And look at what he says. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. You think about all the scientists today and all the technology today. And we are saying that the earth happened to just come into existence out of nothing. And yet there's a God who's saying, I know the very measurements of that earth. Why? I created it. I put all the cosmos in there. I know the stars by name. You ever thought God knows the stars? He named the stars. He goes in verse 31 and he talks about some of the uh, constellations. And he says, can you do anything about them, Joe? Do you know anything about my cosmos? Do you know anything about my creation? Have you looked at the glory of what I made? Have you seen the sun? Have you seen the stars? Have you seen the sun? All I've made. Tell me, Joe, how did I do that? And you know what Job would have to say? And I would have to say? And you would have to say? I don't know. Except that he spoke it into existence. And the only reason I know that is because he told me. Look again, if you will, at Job 39. Look at what he says in verse 12, uh, verse 13, excuse me. In verse 13, he says, The wings of the ostrich wave proudly, but, her, but are her wings and pinions like the kindly storks for she leaves her eggs on the ground and warms them in the dust she forgets that a foot may crush them or that a wild beast may break them she treats her young harshly as though they were not hers her labor is in vain without concern look what he says about the ostrich he says job have you ever thought about the ostrich i've made the horse i've made the ostrich and he says job have you ever thought about the ostrich look it's dumb and that's what God is saying in verse 13. She waves her wings proudly, but she leaves her eggs on the ground and doesn't consider what can happen to them. And, and she's dumb. And, and then you want to know why? God says, I made her that way. That's how I want the ostrich. Yesterday I was walking by the pond and this goose just hissed at me. That made me mad. I thought, well, what's that goose going to do to me? Ring its neck, hissing at me like it knows it's better. But I tell you, why did it do that? That's its defense mechanism. Who put that in it? God did. And I want you to think about when we look at these things. Today, scientists talk about cloning. But they can't do that without the original. Man needs a pattern. And the cause provided for him to get the desired effect. I like that in verse 17 when God talks about the art. God deprived her of wisdom. He did not endow her with understanding. But you know what God has given man? 
free will and understanding. An animal doesn't stop and consider where it comes from. Why? It doesn't have an eternal soul. An animal doesn't consider anything except the survival of today. Now, I've got a dog. I never thought I'd have an indoor dog, but my boys wanted this dog. And her name is Oreo, and she does the best she can, bless her heart. But now, if I was to leave my steak sitting on the table and go off in another room, you know what little Oreo would do? She ain't little, but you know what she... Her instinct would say, get the steak. Now, she might, might think about it and look around for a while, because she's been disciplined before stealing food before. But you know what she's going to do long enough? She's going to take the steak. Well, why? She's a dog. That's what dogs do. That's how God made them. They're thinking of survival. They're not thinking about uh, right or wrong. Now, they may be concerned about discipline of the owner, but they're not concerned about right or wrong. And so I think about the fact that God has given man an intellect to understand, to ask the question, why did I come from? And if I learn from where I came from, I want to know where I'm going. And God declares, I made everything. Every insect, every animal, every living thing is exactly what it is, it is because I made it that way. And God told Job, you question me when you don't even know these things. Only God, my friend, has the power to create and design this world and man. Now someone may say, well, why did he do it? I can only speculate. But John wrote in his epistle in 1 John 4, 8, God is love. I think God made us to love us. Why do people have children? Because they got a lot of money they want to throw away? No. Well, why do you have children? To love. So when a scientist or a so-called intellectual giant claims there's no God, but the world came from chaos, stop and look around at the order of the universe. And the only thing out of order is man, and that's due to sin. Because he doesn't keep God's holy law, he is out of order. Look at all the chaos around the world. Why is there chaos in the world? Because we live in a fallen world. My youngest son, who's 10, has cystic fibrosis. And you can ask him why he has it. He'll tell you, we live in a fallen world. That's why. Because sin has been introduced into the world, the design can become corrupt. And we have mutated genes, and we have cancer, and we have problems, we have illness and sickness, because what happened? Sin entered the world. And so you have physical death. You know, in Chevrolet, I don't know how it is in Tullahoma, the death rate is 100%. That way here, everybody dies. You can't get out of that town alive. When I moved there, I thought, well, surely, the, surely the, they're going to live to be older. But no, they all die in that town too. Everywhere I've been, I've noticed the death rate's 100%. One out of one, one apiece, everyone. So that brings up a question. If I see that I'm physically going to die, shouldn't I wonder about, is there something beyond this world? See, that's where most people don't want to go. Most people don't want to think about what's beyond this world. Look in Ephesians chapter 2 for just a moment. When you come to Ephesians chapter 2, notice what Paul says. And this is what I call the practicing atheist. Look at verse 12. 
He said that at that time you were, and underscore this, without Christ. You were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and underscore these words, and without God in the world. Without Christ, without God. You know what you are? You're an atheist. If you're living, and notice verse 1, and you're dead in your trespasses and sin, I'll tell you, you're dead to God, you're separated from God, you're a practicing atheist, I'll tell you what's going to happen. When you die, you're going to find out there is a God, and you're going to stand in judgment. So don't live like there is no God. He said that was the problem with a lot of them in Ephesus. He said, that's how you once walked, but you don't walk that way anymore. Once you come to realization there is a God, then you go to his word, you learn about this God, and then you follow this God. And you see what he's done, as Jed prayed, in the giving of his son to redeem us from our sins. Look in 2 Peter chapter 3. In 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter is writing to people, and look at what he said to these people who weren't questioning the second coming of Christ. He says in verse 3, Knowing this first, scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? They scoff His creation. They scoff the crucifixion. They scoff the second coming. Have you noticed everything God does, man in his arrogance and defiance, shakes his fist at God and says, we're not going to do what you say. We're not going to believe what you say. We're not going to follow what you say. And a man just mocks and scoffs at God. And that's what he said, that that's going to happen in these last days. What is the last days? These last dispensation. This last time before he comes again. And they're going to ask, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the, look at what they say here, beginning of creation. At least they believed in that, didn't they? But look at verse 5. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. He's talking about Noah. But look at verse 7 and notice it very carefully. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, underscore, same word, are reserved for fire till the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. They're saying, why hasn't he come again if he's going to come again? And he says, Just because he hasn't come again doesn't mean he won't. Remember, God doesn't dwell in time. We look at 2,000 years since his death and people have been questioning if he is real and if if he died and he's been resurrected, if he's coming again, why hasn't he come? And he said, remember, we're talking about an event that just happened two days ago in God's estimation of time. As a day is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. Because he doesn't dwell in time. But look at verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know, you don't have to wonder who will destroy the world. Because beginning in verse 10, He tells us who will. The one who created it. The Almighty God. Sometimes I listen to them and they talk about we're going to have this nuclear war and they worry about this happening, this happening. They worry about climate 
uh, change and they worry about, you know, the polar bears. I, I read yesterday this, this headline. It really got me. It said, with climate change, it might make bears uh, have more of a taste for humans. That's supposed to scare me into being more green. And I think we should take care of the earth, don't get me wrong, but this whole idea that, that we're melting everything and that man's going to uh, cause the world to fail is not true. God's going to destroy it. And he's going to destroy it when we least expect it. Look at what he says in verse 10. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. I don't know about you, but if I knew a thief was coming, I'd be sitting there ready for it. Daniel and I have had the same experiences at one of the elders' house over in Charlotte. Uh, we've set off some alarms, and the, the police have been called on us. Um, and uh, I realized I wouldn't make a good thief, because when the alarm went off, I panicked. And I went, and I couldn't find the door outside, to the, uh, and my wife was out there, and I'm like, the alarm's going off, what's the code? And she's like, I can't hear you. And I'm like, yeah, we're going to jail. <laughs> But the thief comes when you least expect him. And he says, The elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it, they're going to be burned up. Who could, who, man can't make enough force to do the whole, both the whole world? Only God. And he says, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, this whole world, what manner of persons ought you to be in holiness and godliness? Looking forward and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be dissolved being a fire and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we according to His promise look for a new heavens and a new earth which indwells righteousness. It's going to be destroyed. You know what God gives us a purpose ever wonder why God made the worm? Nothing can aerate the soil like a worm. God had a purpose for the worm. You ever wondered why God made the trees? And you think of the oxygen that they produce so that His creation can live. So we see why God made trees. But why did God make man? Because He wanted someone to worship Him and love Him. Not that he's an egomaniac, but because he's worthy of the worship. And because he wants man to love him. And to reject his love. And to reject all that he's done for man. Is worse than just saying he doesn't even exist. After you've come to learn about what he's done. For our souls. How can we turn and walk away from it? I'm not deserving of the giving of His Son. When my youngest was in the hospital, they were putting an NG tube in his nose, and I'll never forget. My wife was crying, he's screaming in pain, and I'm over there tearing up, and even the nurses are crying. And as a father, your idea is... Put that on me. Any father that sees his child suffer says, I don't want my child to suffer. Put that on me. But have you ever thought that when God looked at you and he saw your condition, 
He said, put it on my son. So that through his blood, I can redeem them, that there's a propitiation for them, and I can save them. How can we walk away from a God like that? I'm thankful for the God I believe in, the God I preach, and the God I serve, the God of the Bible. Thank you for studying with me this morning.